Welcome to War Room, the official podcast of the U.S. Army War College Online Journal, graciously supported by the Army War College Foundation. Please join the conversation at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. We hope you enjoy the program. Make sure not to miss a single podcast and subscribe to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast at iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite subscription service. Hello, and thanks for joining us today on A Better Peace, the War Room podcast. I'm Jacqueline Whit. I edit and produce the podcast, and I'm a professor of strategy at the U.S. Army War College. Today's episode is part of our ongoing series on the emerging environment in the Indo-Pacific region. And this series has been produced in collaboration with the Department of Social Sciences at the United States Military Academy at West Point as part of the 2019 Senior Conference. The conference provides a forum for distinguished scholars, practitioners, and government officials to engage in candid discussions on topics of national security importance. Senior Conference is made possible by the generous support of the Rupert S. Johnson Grand Strategy Program and the Association of Graduates. And War Room is proud to help continue this conversation online. While most of our episodes in this series have been focused on trends specifically in the Indo-Pacific region, today we want to broaden the scope a bit and think about how we imagine the future of war. My guest today is August Cole. He is a non-resident senior fellow at the Brent Scrocroft Center on International Security at the Atlantic Council and works on creative foresight at Spark Cognition, an AI company. He is the former director of the Art of Future War Project, which explores narrative fiction and visual media for insight into the future of conflict. He has a background as a journalist, strategic advisor, and futurist, but our listeners may be most familiar with his name as the co-author with Peter Singer of Ghost Fleet, a novel of the next world war. So August, thanks for joining us today on A Better Peace. It's great to be here. All right, so let's start off conceptually. Um, why do people generally, and Americans specifically, need to think about what the future of war is going to look like? We're at a really interesting moment when the technologies of the day would look like science fiction a generation or two ago. And because many of these technologies have direct bearing on the conduct and capabilities uh, of, of war, even in this decade, but especially, uh, especially during the next two decades, it's incumbent on us uh, in the national security community to think really, I think, critically about our capabilities today, where the gaps are, and what that future operating environment might be like. There's an aspect of this that, in the fictional realm, allows us also to use different perspectives than we might ordinarily in a traditional military or government organization. For example, we can spend more time considering the adversary's point of view. Mm -hmm. You know, every hero is only as good as their villain. And that's a maxim, I think, that works really well in trying to understand how somebody who's perpetrating a threat in the future, whether they're a nation state or an individual, uh, what, the, what their world is going to look like, what are their objectives, what are their means. Uh, those are the kinds of uh, analytical processes that are, are, of course, part of the everyday life in the national security community. I'd advocate that it's time now for approaches that allow us to stretch our legs creatively. Uh, there's incredible uh, talent resident within government, within the commercial sector uh, and entertainment sector that we can tap in trying to understand what that future operating environment might be like. Mm -hmm. And not, again, just from a conventional point of view. Yeah, so let's push on that point maybe a little bit further. I think one of the maybe cliches of war studies and military people in particular is that they are always fighting the last war, right? That this is a 
pretty common trope. And at the same time, if we think about past military strategists and thinkers, we see evidence that they've been thinking about what they think the future is going to be like. And it turns out they're most often wrong about that. So can you help us think about how um, fiction and sort of creative endeavors can help us with that problem of needing to think about the future, but so often being wrong about it? Looking backward often gives us a sense of certainty. Uh, I'd argue that's a false sense of security, though, because, of course, we don't know what the future is going to be like. But that uncertainty is probably, especially today, when technologies and trends uh, and people and ideas move so quickly around the world, is going to be a normal state of affairs. The value in using fiction, an example would be a short story or a series of short vignettes that explore the operating environment for, say, the Army in the Pacific. What you would be able to do there is to step outside the conventional analytical tools and approaches that you might otherwise produce if you were taking a conventional think tank or, or intelligence-oriented approach. The, the other aspect that you can draw in when you're using these creative approaches are new voices. One of the elements that we were really able to pull the thread on with the Art of the Future project at the Atlantic Council was inviting people who don't belong. And I think that can't be done enough to bring in true diversity of thought, uh, true diversity of ideas and experiences, being able to look cross-generationally. So an example is we were looking at what the future of conflict in space might be like at, all the way at the end of the 21st century. And that was an important question, we thought, because you often don't control the pace of technological advancement, obviously. Uh, and it's important to think, I think, unconstrained by the conventional planning boundaries. So if a traditional foresight exercise is like 20 or 30 years. And that seems really far out. It is, but let's go 50. <laughs> right. Because what's real in uh, 50 years out might be actually emerging in the 2030s. So, for example, that allowed us to run a crowdsourced contest that was won by a kid who was in college from Los Angeles. We flew him to Washington, put him on stage alongside David Brin, one of the greatest mm -hmm. American science fiction writers ever and had a really interesting conversation about the story this kid wrote, uh, but also the kind of more practical and immediate questions that had to do with the essence of what the nature of conflict is gonna be like uh, in, at, the, at the end of the 21st century. Sure, so when you're sitting down, uh, let's talk about method, I guess. So when you're sitting down to, to write something, a short story or a novel or, or, whatever, or a vignette or whatever it is, um, tell us a little bit about how you, how you start. Do you start with a question, a character, a problem, a scene, a setting? Like where, where does it start? That's a really great question. I would say every story is a little bit different. The, the methods that I find most effective for me are often thinking about what are the unacknowledged truths that are out there that people don't want to confront or talk about. When uh, Pete and I were working on Ghost Fleet, we were really trying to understand better China's rise strategically, and especially militarily, and how the world might not be changing fast enough for a future China, and the role that military force might play in really giving a before and an after moment for the leadership in that country. Moreover, there's other, other aspects to that question too, which I think are critical to ask, which have to do with longevity of the Chinese Communist Party. What comes after that? And could that come sooner than mm -hmm. later? The flip side of that is then looking at uh, this question of the U.S. strategic position in the Pacific in the early 21st century and testing a lot of the assumptions we have about our technological dominance. Because when I think about technological dominance, I think about technological, perhaps, over-reliance. 
So we posited from an adversary's point of view, what are the steps that you would do to essentially remove that advantage? And if you look at Chinese military thinking, they're an assassin's mace uh, kind of framework, you do begin to understand that that is actually how the PLA itself is thinking. And so a lot of the, the, the work that we did was trying to do our best to assume that intellectual framework and apply it in a fictional sense. You know, there's always risk when you're writing fiction. Sometimes people don't like what you've written. Sometimes it may not be very good. Uh, and I think you have to be willing to accept that because if you have approached something with, I think, a, an earnest intention and done the research and work, you're probably going to get towards uh, a better understanding of a future problem. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's really difficult when people expect to have a crystal ball with a very clear picture uh, that addresses a worldview that they hold. And the reality is you don't write science, I don't write science fiction so I can predict the future, but I wanna better understand what's ahead. And so the act of doing that, and especially organizationally, like let's say you're crowdsourcing uh, ideas for stories, actually writing them, doing it collaboratively maybe, which I think is a really effective tool. You're developing new analytical muscles that are really important to exercise. And, and to really test out ideas and concepts and try to break things when the costs are zero because you're just putting words on a page or maybe you're making a video. Right, or why not like take that. a big swing? And, and, and people who are in the creative field, if you can bring them in, they love that. Risk is, is inherent uh, in that sense. Not in the, you know, the martial or the military sense, but in the kind of creative sense. Yeah. Is there something that you can think of that you've written that you either think, man, that was really stupid, I wish I hadn't written that, or where you think, yeah, I think we got that pretty close to right? I have, uh, like a lot of writers, a completely unpublished manuscript mm -hmm. on my hard drive. I wrote, after leaving the Wall Street Journal, a what I thought was a pretty good novel about clandestine military contractors in the Persian Gulf, uh, American ones. And that never went anywhere. It's still on my hard drive. Mm -hmm. It's a cool story. I may, I may you know, take one of those characters and bring them back to life in a future project. But um, even knowing when I began that project that nobody might ever publish that book, that giving up a career at the pinnacle of journalism to write something that disappears into the digital darkness, I felt like I really had to try to prove, even back in, what, 2011 when I was working on this, that fiction could have a useful role. And so I've been on this journey, this is my personal like adventure here, and trying to figure out how to make this practical and relevant. But that was a really important opening step because the the dedication to write 90,000 words in you know, nine months or so, uh, I think proved that I, that I could do it. So that in my progression in working with Pete later who'd written books, it was really formative. Sure. I, I look back on that though, and I often wonder if I'd had a better way to articulate what I'm doing now, could we more broadly extend the reach and the impact and get more people to write themselves, more people to read broadly. Um, and so I, I've been working lately on this kind of concept of ficint, which is like fiction plus intelligence. If you have ement, ement, excuse me, or elint or humant, that why not consider the kinds of creative ideas and inspirations that can come from a video game, a film, a short story, uh, as being a, another potential input in understanding a, a given national security problem. And so uh, I've been using this concept of ficint lately, and that's starting to take off a little bit, which I think is a really nice way. Of course, it's an acronym, you know, and that's somewhat helpful. Uh, but it's a nice way to create a code or a shorthand for what it is that we're trying to do with these with these sorts of approaches. So, given that given that goal of trying to sort of incorporate this more routinely and regularly into the national security um, apparatus into people who are thinking about this, um, 
if you were going to advise, say, a war college student, right, that's that's my population of people I have in front of me, um, how they might use some of these techniques without quitting their jobs or going to try to sit down and write 90,000 words, where would be a starting point for somebody who is a serving military officer in the intelligence community or working at the Pentagon? Um, how could they use this in their sort of day-to-day thinking? I think one of the... the quickest ways to implement the efficient approach is to give yourself a word count cap, say a thousand words, and look at one of the assumptions that you hold most dear in your analytical or worldview and try to break that assumption and do it from the, and and write something from the perspective of the person who's essentially testing or or breaking, uh, whether it's a technological reliance, whether it's a, uh, sense of understanding of how the future is supposed to be. And again, switching that perspective and putting on the, you know, the, the bad guy's shoes, so to speak. Um, I think that's a really important exercise. I think that one of the challenges though, when I've seen even official and sanctioned uh, vignettes is that they often don't drive hard enough at the perspective of a person living in that world. And so if you don't engage, like, let's say your senses, you know, what is mm-hmm. it like to understand the question of, uh, you know, Syria in 2035. Well, let's walk down the street in 2035 in Damascus. What do I smell? Do I smell burning tires? Right. Because there's a, a barricade at the end of the street. Uh, am I stepping uh, barefoot on shell casings because I haven't worn shoes in three months because I, I'm uh, in a cutoff, you know, cordoned area. Those kinds of uh, very visceral ways to depict uh, a future scenario, I think, are really effective. And that if you don't have dialogue, if you don't have that sort of sensory perspective, I think you're missing a chance to really engage people. And it's hard to do sometimes. And as you, I think, indicated earlier, it doesn't always work as well as you want. But the effort in trying is really effective. Mm-hmm. And I think there are communities right now that are really embracing this. Uh, there are groups uh, that are grassroots. And so if someone is extremely busy with their day job, being involved in uh, the Defense Entrepreneurs Forum or Military Writers Guild, where there are a lot of like-minded kind of innovation-oriented people who are using writing to better their professional understanding in, the, in, the, in their military careers. That's a really good start, I think, in, in doing that. And it seems like it can crystallize, it can help you think about problems, it can help you crystallize um, sort of what you want to say, but it also seems that this allowing yourself the freedom of fiction, right, of em- employing all of your senses, talking about what are people eating, what are you smelling, what does it look like, um, sort of loosening some of those of, of those strictures that we have in the sort of rigid frameworks of defense analysis or national security policy, um, political science, history, et cetera, um, is both a real challenge, I think, for serving professionals in the in the community, but also some of the, the greatest opportunities that they have. So I think one of the things I noticed when I was reading, um, I think Underbelly was the was the one that I read most recently from that you that you sent me is the 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 details that are that are in there, right? The cinnamon fireball, and the the operation names. Um, that those are opportunities to to sort of let let your brain go into a different um, a different place. What's the what's the hardest thing about doing that about making that mental switch? One of the really, I think, important facets of writing credible fiction in the, the kind of useful fiction genre like this uh, is, is 
being accurate in how you portray people who exist in a world that doesn't yet manifest. Mm -hmm. uh, and one way you can do that is by taking technical facets and rendering them correctly. So that underbelly story, which depicts uh, a US, UK, uh, very irregular military operation in Southern Europe um, without a NATO, without NATO backing, it essentially involves like special mission and contractors. Uh, one of the challenges there was, well, for example, figuring out how you might move people from the US into Crimea and think about electronic warfare and transport planes and that sort of thing. So I talked to some C-17 pilots mm -hmm. about that mission and about just the aircraft and what it's like to be on them. So in the story, I mentioned at one point the uh, air crew, or excuse me, the crew on the aircraft, they wear like F-35 pilot helmets right. that are essentially like virtual reality so they can see through the aircraft like a F-35 pilot can. Again, on a special mission like transport aircraft, that could be a really useful feature. And one of the pilots said, yeah, then we wouldn't run over our fire extinguishers when we're backing the aircraft up and you know maneuvering on the ramp or whatever. So that's a detail that I worked in there that mm -hmm. like they're essentially trying to avoid, you know. There's, yeah, they're, they're enormous and unwieldy. Right. And so you're signaling to somebody in that community like, hey, I get your problem set. Right. right. I understand. I've done the work to understand, you know, the day in and day out little realities. Uh, and that, I think, offers a little bit of credibility. So when you're proposing something completely outlandish, like uh, electronic warfare version of the C-17, that they're like, okay, this is actually a thought out process. Um, so I think it's being able to find the details that resonate and the details that really connect with people. Um, you know, what you leave out is also critically important. If you, uh, you know, you can really overload a story with information that's just not advancing the, the, the kind of arc. Yeah. Uh, and so from, from that perspective too, there's a fine line, but that's where collaborative approaches work. Having your friends read what you've written. Sure. Um, they can help you kill your darlings as it were. As an adage goes, it doesn't get any better than that. Yeah. <laughs> So let's let's close out with some recommendations to our listeners uh, for national security professionals. Uh, what are some things that you think they should be uh, reading, watching, playing, doing right now uh, to think more creatively and more critically about the future of war? When you're looking at, at trying to understand the Indo-Pacific region, I think science fiction actually right now offers some really interesting possibilities, particularly from Chinese writers whose work is being translated into English, uh, some of them for the first time. So, you know, science fiction allows us to better understand the world we're in by, you know, seeing its portrayal in the future. Um, but there's a new anthology called Broken Stars, translated by Ken Liu, who's an American, uh, that I'd recommend. Um, I've been playing a video game called The Division, uh, the sequel to that, which is uh, post-plague Washington, D.C., um, kind of kind of a, a, it's not quite a first person shooter. It's a little bit like a mix of like Call of Duty and Dungeons and Dragons. Um, but I find it interesting because they've perfectly rendered the district downtown area uh, in a 3D environment. So if you're thinking about what megacity operations are like, a game like that really does mm -hmm. let you explore uh, in a collapsed state, you know, a, a real jewel of a city today and allows you to position shift. Um, other books I think that are really important to be reading right now, Don Winslow, American writer has a series um, it starts with a book called The Power of the Dog, then goes to the cartel, and then The uh, Border, which is the latest installment in that trilogy, and it's about the drug war in Mexico. But he captures not only the street-level law enforcement side of it, but the, at the highest levels of policy. And so between, I think, those three books, which together add up to, I'm guessing, 1,800 words, you get one of the, I think, most finely written tales of... Uh, the last 30 years that really gives you a story you aren't going to really get anywhere else because he's done so much research 
uh, and is again such a fine writer. I think those are three really great ways to what some people would say is waste your time, but I would say that's professional development. I don't think it's I don't think it's a waste of time. So with that, we will encourage our listeners to go read more fiction, write some more fiction, maybe play some video games, and think creatively and critically about the problem set that is in front of them, but also about the problems that they haven't imagined and the worlds that haven't yet manifested. So August, thanks so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure to have you. It's great to be here. And remember, if anybody gives you a hard time for playing video games, you can tell them it's for work. (laughs) And that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the U.S. Army or the Department of Defense. Let us know what you think. Provide us your feedback, comments, or suggestions through our webpage at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. And have a great day.